Hi, I'm Dr. Beverly Phillip. I'm a physician anesthesiologist, professor of anesthesia at Harvard, founding director of the Day Surgery Unit at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, the this year's president of the American Society of Anesthesiologists. You are listening to Interview with the Surgeon with Surgeon Agent. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we welcome Dr. Beverly Phillip, Professor of Anesthesia at Harvard Medical School and the current 2021 President of the American Society of Anesthesiologists. Doc, how are we doing today? Ah, oh, it's a great day. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for being with us. So, you know, getting started, what were your goals and aspirations during your residency and how those changed throughout your fellowship? Well, yeah, they did change. Um, I went into anesthesiology because uh, I love the work. I love that it is the combination of a lot of critical thinking, need to know a lot, and also need to do a lot. So it's a good balance of, of sort of, I don't know, brain, heart, and mind, so to speak. Uh, the, uh, but so when I went to my residency, my plan was originally to practice anesthesiology. Uh, what, however, I, in, in retrospect, I realized that the chair of my program was trying to push me towards an academic career that I actually had no, no intention whatsoever of doing because it just never even occurred to me. Um, but opportunities came up. Or to, it's been sort of one of my career issues is that I, I, I tend to see opportunities where other people see challenges. And I couldn't have said it in those words back at that point, but that's that's really it's a that's really what what the issue is. So I realized that um, when we moved to new when the in the when the program we were going to combine some hospitals and when the hospitals were going to merge, I realized we needed an ambulatory surgery program, and there were very few of them in the United States at that point. So I wanted to set one up. And that sounded interesting. And uh, my chair at the time said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who'd want to ever go home after surgery? So he said, well, give it a try. And sort of one interesting opportunity led to another interesting opportunity. And uh, then I started doing research. So I want to stay in academia to develop new frontiers. And that's really what I was really excited about, to develop this amazing patient-focused concept and then I started doing research in that area, which gave me the academic portfolio to be professor. So it really, it really was evolving, not, not particularly planned, but looking at the opportunities in front of me to say, oh, that would be interesting to do and just go for those. So kind of taking us through that fellowship year, you know, what, were your, what was your mentality going into that first job search and how that perspective changed in the beginning years of your career? Well, um, I, at, I, I, um, I ended up staying essentially at my first job. Um, I, the original determinant was, again, unrelated to my career, which is that my uh, husband, who I met in medical school, he's in my, and we both went into anesthesiology because of what makes us similar. And uh, so we were needed a place where there was room for two people in the field. And we ended up at the um, Peter Bent Brigham in Boston. And as the opportunities to develop this ambulatory surgery idea were there, I stayed because I had this platform 
to develop my ideas with the uh, nurses that were there, with the surgeons that were there, and it wasn't really a transferable issue. So I stayed uh, in the same physical location. I mean, I changed what I did, sort of zigzagged my career, but I ended up staying in the same physical location. I did a, uh, a fellowship in research at that institution uh, at, at the end of my residency because that was my uh, that was my chair at the time pushing me. He he. There were other options I wanted to do, and he 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 wouldn't give them to me. He said, "You're you're. This is the only one that's available to you," which was, which was uh, smart on his account. So, in the whole process, did you ever consider going to private practice, or really academic focused all the way? Um, I I I decided I consciously decided to stay in academia, and that that's the point I want to get back to later. By the way, is because what I wanted to do was sort of. Uh, explore new ideas. Uh, you couldn't do that in private practice to the same uh, freedom, latitude. So I made a conscious decision that academia was was where I needed to be. So kind of in the stepping stone process, what would you say were some of the keys of your success that shaped your early career as you climbed the ranks of the academic world? Well, it's always hard work. I mean, that's sort of at the core of everything. Um, but to find things that interest you and work hard to do them well, that's things. I do, by the way, run a, a negotiation elective for my senior residents here. And we talk, uh, because that's my, that's my um, sort of, uh, let's say business related specialty, my particular leadership uh, specialties in negotiation. And we always come back to some several thoughts that you uh, that is really important to decide what you want to do. That um, it's we, we in life, it's too easy to be putting out the fires of the moment. And then time has passed. And what and then you say, I should have a much better way of doing it is and I do coach the residents that I work with is to literally sit down and prioritize what's important to you this year. And uh, it's going to change. And I mean, I made lists. Uh, I, I remember or very early in my career, what's important to me. You know, you have a, a finite amount of time availability and energy availability. What do I want to spend it on? And, uh, and I did that. So you usually get only to what? Number three on your priority list with a, like a huge whole set of ideas. But so you know that when the choice comes up, nope, this is really more important to me. I want to spend time on this. And then also, the, not only does it give you some comfortable focus, but it also then, the, then it takes away the regrets because you know you've made the best possible choice under the circumstance. So I think prioritizing life really on a year by year basis is, is critically important to, 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 to a personal definition of success. Now on that same mindset, you know, what type of advice do you have for the graduating chief residents and fellows entering the professional job market for the first time? Um, it, it is making decisions about where do you want to be five years from now, 10 years from now. Now, who knows? Clearly you can't 
project that far out. But you want to have both a short-term and a longer-term idea of what, what at this point, like today, is going to be where you would, what you would like to be doing on a sort of a large scale kind of uh, perspective. And then from that, it's easier to take about what's, what's important now. And I particularly want to comment that because the comment, what, the particular challenge of finishing up residency, uh, and I think one of the transitions that is difficult because of the lack of preparation in medical education is all of a sudden, as when, you, when you're finishing your fellowship, it's all on you. I mean, people, you know, you, you've had, you've been sort of kind of, you've been provided work, provided education, uh, uh, constraints on life. Now it's all on you. And I find this to be a, it appears to me that this is a huge stress source for the newly finishing training because we don't give advice on how to manage that transition. It's a great, huge, I don't know, 90 degree life change in having to manage all of this yourself. What type of mistakes are you seeing young physicians coming out when they're going into that first job? Maybe they didn't take time to actually write down their goals or what they're actually trying to go through, but what are the things that you're seeing personally through your own education process? Um, it, it's never, it's never too late to sort too late to start thinking about yourself. That when you um, people take first jobs for a variety of reasons. It might be to stay with a spouse. Uh, it might be to uh, finish up some training, get some expertise, clinical expertise in a in a an environment that you know and is comfortable. And these are all terrific. These are all excellent excellent points. But then you have to start looking. Where am I going to go next? And understand that nothing will be perfect, um, but to decide among the options, which is going to be at least the best odds of meeting what, what you want to be doing. So in 2020 and also now in 2021, we're still dealing with a pandemic in this virtual world where we're not really being at annual conferences and live and being able to meet folks like yourself. So what advice do you have for the graduating class regarding their networking as far as outreaching and the process that goes along with that? Yeah, um, um, the, that's, that's a really good question because the opportunities are still there despite the virtual world. In the anesthesiology community where there are, uh, there are available paths to connect with people and they run in sort of in two buckets, career-related buckets that I can think of. Um, you want to find groups of people where there are uh, mentoring uh, opportunities available. And what I do tell, uh, do uh, talk with more junior people is, one is to look into, it, it's basically related to organized medicine. By that, I mean organizations of physicians. You can do it in your state medical society. Uh, you should also do it in your specialty society, in ASA. Uh, and also as you develop a subspecialty, join that organization as well. Because you will, uh, even, we, there are nonetheless um, interacting opportunities to do that. So how do you advance in ASA, which is I sort of the one that there's, it's because because there's so many options. Um, the, we, uh, 
how you get onto, I'm sorry, the, getting involved in ASA is getting involved in the committee work. And anesthesiologists are, anesthesiologists are amazing, um, want to do things, want, want to get things done. So we have, uh, when you, uh, there are about 1,500 committee openings available a year and about twice that many applicants. So that's, anesthesiology is about, I want to get things done. And so what you do is you, this ASA runs this as a self-nomination process. If you want to be on a committee, first of all, you have to ask. And you have to make a case. It's a little form. You write a couple of sentences on what you're going to contribute to the process. And you probably are not going to get it the first year. You may or may not. But but there's there's planned regular turnovers. The opportunities always keep on coming. And then when you're on a committee, volunteer. If there's something that needs to be done, say, I'm going to take care of that for you. I'm going to join this group that's going to work. And this is how you get recognized. And then uh, the people elsewhere in the, um, in the leadership, the people above you and beside you will see someone who volunteers and gets the job done. And then you get more fun jobs to do and more fun jobs to do. So that's, it's um, um, ASA on the, on the membership level is really a meritocracy. And it's up to the individual. Develop skills, develop sort of uh, knowledge bases and, volunteer. And you being the president right now, you know, what type of resources are you providing to the next generation? And also what initiatives are you really excited about? Oh, we are doing a lot about, um, to, well, it, it, it sort of goes without saying that we've, um, we view residents as a, as a real huge resource. So these, these are our future brothers and sisters. This is, these, these are, you know, these are our professional children in a way to speak. So, um, and, and we treat them that way. So um, uh, we have a lot of, and we have, we have, by the way, a committee on residents and fellows also one about medical students. We have interested medical students, um, but a committee on residents fellows that has their own governing, governing structure, their own sort of organization so they can um, contribute to the specialty as best they can. And that group and the ASA education department behind them has created a huge collection of resources. There are um, uh, podcasts, there are uh, interview tips, all sorts of information that is, that is really out there. It's, it's um, uh, there's groups about, and interest groups, for example, about the women who are, women who are mothers in during residency. There are, um, this is a real group of peers to ask, to, to, to connect with and ask advice from. As a leader, I get a lot of questions, you know, regarding medical students applying for residency spots and also residents applying for fellowship spots. What is someone like yourself looking for in those applicants? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of uh, demonstrated accomplishment and de demonstrated uh, future uh, opportunity that they're likely to continue to grow in the way that they have. So, you know, I, this is not the college thing of like joining the band and that, like that kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's another whole story, but it's, um, you know, have you gotten in, involved 
wherever, whatever you've come from, have you gotten involved in relative uh, issues related to what you're working anesthesiology? Just you're showing commitment in things and, and willingness to engage and some idea of self. I know there, there are sort of personality types who do well. Uh, many do, but there are, um, you need to be a fit for the specialty, which is why the interviews are so important and they're going on remotely. So that's the Zoom world, the, the COVID world hasn't really changed that. This year, I have to say, um, the popularity of anesthesiology among the uh, medical students who want to go into anesthesiology has been amazing outstanding. Now I credit this of course to the, to the huge work of my, all my colleagues in anesthesiology on what they've done in COVID because this has gotten widespread recognition. And we had, I don't know, like 18, we have 1800, something like that residency spots, all of them, but four were filled this year. That's like a 99.8% fill rate because, um, and, and the caliber of the people is just, just terrific. So it's, 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 a, it's a fun specialty. I think if you ask most anesthesiologists why they do it, it's because it's fun. Um, and it is. So we've been attracting um, really high caliber um, uh, young people interested in going into this and uh, acquiring the knowledge they need during the residency. And then, oh, and that's where they get on their own after that, on, on, like, out into life, yes being the next generation of outstanding anesthesiologists and researchers and uh, um, um, organization leaders and heads of departments and deans of medical schools. So you mentioned things about regarding the virtual interviews. I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on what are the things that you think that the next generation can be focusing on to enhance their ability to interview in a virtual world? Ah, um, well, we're all, we're all creating that as we go, aren't we? Um, I, the only thing that, so I've done a huge amount of public speaking in my career, um, academic work on the academic work side, let alone the ASA side. And the only, uh, like any other skill, it's a matter of practice. So you really need to find a way to, uh, to be comfortable talking to the camera. There's just, there's no other shortcut for that. And it's a matter of simply getting used to the environment. So it's not the physical camera or it's the audience of 500 people. Yeah, someone asked me, so how can you so comfortable standing up in front of people? And I said, well, after the first 10,000 times, it doesn't matter much at all. So you have to, everybody is initially stage shy. And this is another form of the same thing, being, being interviewed. And just to acknowledge that that's, that's a normal reaction, but the way to do it is just to practice, get together with a friend and have a practice sort of saying, you know, doing, doing mock interviews with, you, with each other, which is what I would recommend. So many exciting opportunities. Um, and I think to, uh, as, you come, as you come to decision points, you make a choice and you then it works out or it doesn't work out as life does. And then people say, well, I should have made, or I should have this, just to emphasize that um, you should have doesn't get you where you want to go in the future. Make the best possible decision, which is based on that, um, on that 
um, prioritizing and then go forward with it. The positive message is there are always more opportunity, always. There is what was there now, it's gonna be something different in another year, but there will be something different. And there's always just huge opportunities in front of them, look for them and take them. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Interview with the Surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.